As well, we'll get back here into our passage, Romans chapter 8. And uh, we're now down into the next section, uh, little Romans 8. Uh, the first four verses we talk about, we've talked about, we've learned about the power source uh, that's been given to us in Christ, and that is the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 5 to 8, we've talked about the provision that's been given to us in the Holy Spirit. And now we come into verses 9 to 13. And the verses here, as we begin to get, last week we kind of took a little side road into Galatians 5. But as we begin to look here at uh, verse 9 to 13, uh, again, if you remember what we have been learning, we've been looking in chapter 6, 7, and 8 of our identification truths, those foundation issues of our walk and our life in Christ. And uh, we've, we came out of chapter 7, uh, where Paul describing uh, in uh, chapter 7, verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? The issue there, again, that, that struggle of trying to do it on my own, do it under the law, under the, the mechanism of the law, uh, which is if you do it, great, here's the benefit. If you don't do it, here's the curse. And that struggle that's there. And chapter 7 doesn't end very well. Uh, actually, we've learned in chapter 7 that the law is not our friend. It's not a helper. It, it, it's actually uh, no way to go about trying to live godly. And, and God doesn't want... God did, it's not how God has intended for you and I to live uh, God, godliness and godlikeness by the law. Uh, the, by the way, verse 24 there, you have the answer. It's in that word, who. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the answer is a who. The answer is not a what. It's not a how, but rather it's a who. And that's what we learn about in chapter 8 now, is we begin to learn about this who. Who's going to save us from that? Well, it's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ, who we are in Christ. Chapter 8, verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So who's making me free here? Who? Well, we're, we're, we have this new power source, the Holy Spirit, as he now is going to produce a life in Christ Jesus in us. And then starting down into verse 5, that led us to this great contrast between the flesh and the spirit. Mind the things of the flesh. The result is going to be enmity, verse 7. Verse 8, it cannot please God in that mindset of the flesh. But rather, if we have the mind, if, if we walk after and we mind the things of the spirit which again has everything to do with being preoccupied with who Christ is and who we are in Christ, now we're going to have life. And rather, now we will have uh, life and peace. Verse 6 says, but the spiritually minded is life and peace. And that's the, really the only way to live. And last time we looked in Galatians 5 there, and that 
flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. You're not in that equation. That's two opposing viewpoints, two opposing ways of thinking, and they are going at it. And honestly, we need to allow the spirit to do the work, to do the heavy lifting. Because when we try to do the lifting, what happens? We fail. We make a mess of it. And the Holy Spirit has come along now. He's been given to us as a power center, and he's provided some revelation. He's provided some information regarding all that Christ is and all that he has done for you and I. And when we begin to understand the provision and what that the provision has to do with our thinking process, walk after, mind the things, then when, when we're in that, when we bring in to our thinking that realm of information that the Holy Spirit provides for us in the Word of God, Paul's epistles, now when we go and now out into our life and we take that, that, that information that is objective, <laughs> you know, it's outside of us. It's not subjective, it's objective. And when we walk by faith in His Word, by the way, His Word's been made available to everybody, to all people. It's not just cordoned off to this. It's been made available to all. So uh, come over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So the mind of the Spirit, minding the things of the Spirit, when that begins to, when all of that begins to kind of work and, and meld into our mush brain, <laughs> into our minds, into our thinking, then just as the Spirit gets excited about the ultimate goal that God's accomplishing through His Son, then we too get excited about the ultimate goal here, the ultimate end. And uh, what's wonderful about it is because of the provision of the Spirit, and the person of the Spirit, we're, we're not, and His revelation given to us in the Word, we're not left in the dark. And uh, we, we, we all, we're not left to wonder. You know, sometimes we'll say, well, we don't know what God would have us do. Well, we do know what God would have us do, or be, or go and say. It's right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we were here the last, uh, last week. If you look there at verse 16, for who hath known the mind of the Lord? See, that question, who hath known the mind of the Lord? Again, we say, hey, we don't know what God wants. We don't know his will. We don't know what he would have us do. And all of that is just uh, baloney. It's just, you know, it's just foolishness to say that because he's revealed everything to us in his word. He's given to us in his word. Notice verse 16, who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. You see, we do have the mind of Christ. We have it, Philippians 2, 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. 
Come over to Ephesians 3. We do have the capacity and the ability to comprehend, to know. And we have that because we have the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, resident in us. Ephesians 3, verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, and that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God." All of that in those verses. I've heard preachers for years say, oh, you can't know, and there's no way to know because it's past our understanding. But that's not what those verses say. Those verses say what? You are able. Maybe, verse 18, may be able to comprehend. You can comprehend this, but what do you have to do? You have to mind the things of the Spirit. You've got to let go back there to Romans 8. You've got to allow the Spirit, well, He's going to tell us, we're going to get over here into our our issues of our sonship in verse 14, and He says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God. If you're going to be led by the Spirit, you've got to get yourself out of the way. Too often times, what happens? (laughs) We get in the way because it doesn't match up to what we think it ought to say and do. So Paul here, Romans 8, when we have, we do have the mind of Christ. He is knowable. And he's knowable for all, for all of our benefits. Let's see. So the things of the Spirit, the walking after the Spirit, minding the things of the Spirit, it has to do with us minding, it has to do with us having the mind of Christ. And this is a wonderful passage. It's tremendous here, the first eight verses. Now we come to verse 9, which is where we're going to look this this morning. And in verse 9 to 13, Paul is going to concentrate in on the person, the Holy Spirit. We're going to see next time probably, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can quench the Holy Spirit. Have you ever, what do you do when you quench something? Like you quench a fire. You throw water on it. Yesterday we were working in the yard or, and, and I got thirsty. I had a, and I quenched my thirst with what? <laughs> water, okay? So you, if you think about what you can do with the Holy Spirit, it's tremendous here. And what we're going to learn now is that he, the person of the Holy Spirit, he is what's going to make all of the power and the provisions, verses 1 to 8, a reality in our lives. I've heard for years, okay, Rick, I understand the verses, but how does that work? What does that look like? And I'll tell you what, 9 out of 10 times when that question gets asked, the person asking it, is walking in their flesh and not minding the things of the Spirit. I'm not talking about walking in the flesh and devilment and bad. But they're trying to do rather than what? Allowing the Spirit to do the work. Okay? Because as soon as you let the Spirit do the work, 
guess what's going to happen? It's going to look this way. We'll get back in Ephesians 5 next hour. We're talking about husbands and wives. And when, I, when we do the premarital, pre-wedding stuff, I tell those kids, your, your marriage will not look like your mom and dad. It will not look like Linda and I. It will look like you two because you're forming a new unit, a new identity. Now, you're going to pull from mom and dad on both sides because that's where you learn what marriage is all about. But it's going to look like something very different. Watch verse 9. Let's read it here. Verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. What a passage. Notice the emphasis, though, in that passage is the spirit dwelling in you. Three times Paul comes in and he says there, uh, verse 9, If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Verse 11, But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. There's no, it's clear here that the Spirit does what? Dwells in you. Lives in you. He's there. He's inside of you. Notice verse, I, you, we should just be able to read this, go wow, and move on to verse 14. Unfortunately, we can't do that, okay? <laughs> because when you just, just read, just think about this. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. The end of the verse there, now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ, what are you? You're an unbeliever, see? You're in Adam still. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also, what? Quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. See, we're talking now, we've moved to positional truth, and we're going to say some more about that here in just a second. We're in a positional truth issue now. Verses 1 to 8 is practical. You're doing this, this is who you are now. Okay, we'll talk some more here in just a minute about that. But what I, I don't want to run from the passage here, look at verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh. You don't owe the flesh anything. Romans 5, Romans 6, I'm sorry, Romans 6, 6. What did he do with that flesh? He crucified the old man. You don't owe that flesh anything. You don't owe it to live after it. You don't owe it to mind it. It's a, it's a dead man. I used to have a message called dead man walking. We'll get, that's Romans 12. We'll get there. You don't owe the flesh anything. Verse 13, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die, but if ye through the Spirit do mortify. 
uh, that wonderful, what a word, mortify, uh, subdue it, put it to death, mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. The great question that comes up in all of this is the beginning of verse 9, that first word, but, but, ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. If the, the spirit, if so be, <laughs> there's the big issue, there's the big controversy. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, not, again here, we're not talking about your redemption. And if you think that this is something about your redemption, then you need to go back to Romans 1 to 5 where we learned that our justification, our redemption, is absolute, unconditional, and eternal. And it's a reality that we have in Christ. We're not talking about redemption here. If you're saved, if you've been redeemed, if you've been justified, then guess what? The Holy Spirit dwells in you. And because the Holy Spirit dwells in you, look, at, look there at verse number 11. He that, uh, the end of that, toward the end of that verse, from the dead shall also quicken your what? Mortal bodies. That's this thing. Because the issue here in 6, 7, and 8 is this thing. Okay? Who's controlling this vehicle? And again, we have some things to say here, okay? Who's controlling this? How in the world can the Holy Spirit live in the flesh? How can that happen? So you, got, you get great conversation, you get great controversy that pokes its head up and says, will say, well, the Holy Spirit really doesn't dwell in you. He just moves over and helps you out when you're going to walk and do what he wants in, in his area, and then he leaves you completely. And I'm like, what about Ephesians 1.13? where we're sealed with the spirit of promise. Well, what about, that? What about the seal? Because if he leaves, then does the seal leave? Does it? Well, if you say the Holy Spirit leaves you when you're walking over here and minding the things of the flesh, then guess what you lost? You, you lose your salvation. Now we're back to some denominational thinking. See, it doesn't jive. So then, well, it says, if so be, if, the great if. <laughs> well, if has a lot of definitions to it. And I'm not a Greek scholar, nor do I care to be a Greek scholar. But I can look the word if up. It's, the if here is not a conditional thing. The if here is a done thing. It's like I look at Ricky and I'll say, if you're my son, you will not do that. Or you will... Is there any doubt that he's my son? No, you look at him, okay? There's no doubt about that. So the if there is, the, the if here, we'll look in Colossians 3, there's another if. If you then be risen with Christ, Colossians 3, 1. That's not a question about if you're going to be risen with Christ. It's a, it's a if, it, because this is true, this is the situation, Okay? I get ahead of myself a little bit there, but 
If you just simply read the verses, let the verses say to you what they're designed to say to you, then you, get out, you stay out of all of the controversy stuff. It's amazing to me. I see people get caught in stuff all the time, and it's because they're reading a verse to make it say something that's going to fit a narrative rather than that is what that verse says. Look at verse 8. Because as we move into this section here now, there's some things here that we need to notice what Paul is doing. Look at 8.8. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. In verse 8, he's concluding the argument here. You can't please God if you're what? If you're in the flesh. If you live in your old man, if you live in that selfie, remember we described the flesh as the selfie, the self-life. If you're living in your old man, your old self-life, your old way of thinking about it, taking the selfie, guess what you can't do? You can't please God. By the way, what does your old self say? Give me a law and I'll do it. Give me a rule and I can do it. What did Paul find out? Oh, wretched man that I am. That ain't going to work. When he says you cannot please God, this has nothing to do with his anger. He's not angry with you. How do you know that? Romans 5.1. Therefore, being, my condition, my state, my position, being justified, I have what? Peace with God. This has nothing to do with anger. His anger with you has been, his his. His being angry with you, has the cross took care of that. I said it last Sunday, don't, go too, don't get too far from the cross. When you start moving away from Calvary, you just muddy, you make a mess out of it because it's you. Come over to Hebrews chapter 11. No, here's the idea about this issue about living in the flesh and not pleasing God. Hebrews 11 and verse number 6, Hebrews 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must, must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you come to, when you live in the flesh, are you living in faith or, or in unbelief? Unbelief. So then what can you not do if you're living in unbelief? You can't please God. So as a believer, back to Romans 8 here, someone who's living in the flesh, the self-life, minding the thing, carnally minded, I'm over here thinking about this, I've chosen to be here by the way, it's a choice. I got two choices and I chose to just fulfill the stench of what I always wanted to do because I got to have it my way. I can't please God. Adam and Eve in the garden, when they fall and God goes looking for them, and he says, where are you? And they operation fig leaf and cover up, produce religion to cover up their stain. And finally he says, well, we're over here. And the Lord, and they have that conversation. What was Adam and Eve doing? living in their flesh, operating in the self-life. You see, folks, God is only interested in a heart of faith. 
He tells Israel, you, we, we finished Matthew, we started Mark. Over and over in the Gospels, he says, in their heart, they thought this. In their heart, back in the Old Testament, all through, I don't want your stinking sacrifices, I want your heart. You see, God hasn't always been interested in a heart of faith. That positive response to what he says, regardless of whether what we feel or think about it. What does his word say about it? And that's what Paul's after here. He says, look, verse 8, So then that ye are, that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh. Paul is going to contrast the, the practicality side with now the positional side. Look, you decided to walk in the flesh. And because of that, you can't please God. You're going to have death, functional death. But if you walk in the things of the Spirit, mind the things of the Spirit, you're going to have practical, functional life and peace. But look at verse 9. But he says you're not in the flesh. What happens when we live in the self-life, in the flesh? Verse 8, can't please God. But now Paul's going to move us into a positional thinking process. And it's a natural shift here. Paul, he, he does this all through Romans. We've already seen it in Romans 6 and 7. I'll show you in just a minute. He does it over in Galatians. He does it over in Colossians where he says, you have chosen to live this way, but this is who you really are. Here's your practice and here's your position. And he makes a natural shift here in our, edu in our, in, in our educational, in our edification here, in our movement here. Paul is going to shift our attention now to some very specific truths that will help us understand how verses 1 to 8 can become a living reality in our life. How do I go in and mind the things of the Spirit and do the things of the Spirit? How can I do that? 9 to 13 says, who am I positionally? I have, I'm in Christ. I have the Spirit dwelling in me. I have the power source. So if I'm living in the flesh, I chose to live in the flesh. If I live in the Spirit, I've chosen to live in the Spirit. That's practical. That's practice. But how does that become reality? How does minding the things of the Spirit... By the way, don't you want life and peace? I love peace. Kids have moved out of the house. The house is so peaceful, i.e. quiet. Why? Because it's just Linda and I, right? There's no, the, term, the, the turmoil of family, and it's turmoil. It can be chaos. Turmoil, good. Turmoil, bad. You know, it's not a bad or good thing. It's just life has calmed down. It's peaceful. Man, being in the spirit, because that's who I am, positionally, he's going to set He's going to move us from practical truth to positional truth. The practicality in 5 to 8 of living where we should be living 
Now, how does that get done? So when you come into verse 9, the controversy is with the if. How is it possible, the question that gets raised is, how is it possible that the Spirit can dwell in these bodies of flesh? Well, verse, 12, verse 11 answered that for you. Okay? But he answers it for you positionally. Not practically. Positionally. What has God done positionally to your flesh? Romans 6. What did he do to it? He killed it. He crucified it. It's dead. So what does the Spirit do? The end of verse 11. From the dead shall also, what? Quicken your mortal. Quicken, made alive. What did the Spirit do? The moment you trusted Calvary and the cross, the finished work of Calvary, and the Spirit comes in and He does some things to you, what happens? <laughs> One of them is He takes this old body and He regenerated it. He makes it alive. So the, the question that comes up, is it possible that the Spirit cannot dwell in the believer when the believer is living in the flesh? Does he, I said a minute ago, does he stay? Does he come? You get all of this convoluted stuff. Well, what do we know? What do we learn? Well, we learn that in the flesh you can't please God. So is Paul saying here, when I'm in the flesh, the Spirit might not dwell in me. The answer is no. He said three times, dwelleth in you. You ought to pay attention to when Paul repeats something. That means pay attention. Over in Galatians 1, where they've been so soon removed from him to another gospel, he repeated it twice. They've left Paul. They've left the distinctive ministry of the apostle Paul. So what does Paul say? Go on. To Timothy, over there in 2 Timothy, when he talks about going off into apostasy, he mentions several times over and over about leaving Paul. Leaving the, don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me, his apostle, his messenger. You leave Paul, you're going to go into apostasy. It doesn't matter how you leave Paul, a little bit or a lot. As soon as you leave, we were talking about this this morning earlier, as soon as you leave, you're gone. You're useless in the work and the ministry of God. Yeah, but Rick, I'm still here. No, you, didn't. you are useless because who have you left? That distinctive ministry given to the Apostle Paul. When Paul says, I'm the first, guess what he is? He's the first. When he says, I'm doing this, boom, that's what he's doing. You know what happens is, as we get all caught up in these controversies, and we fail to read. And oh, by the way, I learned a long time ago, when you get stuck on one verse, you better watch out for the other ten that will fall on your head and say you're wrong. You really ought to. Because, well, that verse says, boom, we're right here. And then there's five or six or eight other verses that will just dump all over you. And then you've got to eat crow for a minute if you're honest with the Scriptures. So Paul is not saying here you can lose the Spirit in the moment you decide to go walk in the flesh. Rather, he's talking about who you are, your position, 
And we have to understand that in chapter, in verse 8, Paul is talking about our practice. And in from 9 to 13, actually 9 to the end of the chapter, he's talking about our position, our position, who we are. We're going to learn when we get over in verse 14 that we are the sons of God. That's who we are. Not because we're, we live such a righteous life. It's because of who we are. We have to remember, I got it written here, we don't have because we do. We do because we have. Follow that? It's not we're doing this to get. We do this because we already have in Christ. So we're moving here from practical truth to positional truth, and that then brings into our reality the truths living out and working. Does that make sense, what we're doing here, okay? What Paul's doing here? Now, this mode of instruction is not different. It's not new. It's not, uh, Paul isn't pulling a, a Houdini here and going, oh, the new way to do this. But rather, it's a, it's a manner in which Paul has, has already been instructing us in this movement from practical to positional. Look at verse 9, and let's notice the verse very carefully. But ye are not, what's that word? In the flesh. But, what? In the spirit. You see, we're not in the flesh, but we're in the Spirit. How? Well, not practically, because practically I am in the flesh. I'm living here. This is positional. Verse 8. Notice verse 8. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Well, the end there is is by choice. I've had a contrast given to me starting in verse 5 of living after, walking after the flesh or the spirit. And by choice, where did I decide to go? In verse 8, to the flesh. So then what happens? I can't please God. Now in verse 9, positionally now, who am I? I'm in the spirit. And the shift here is so that we can begin to learn and understand that the reason our new identity, our new reality in Christ Jesus can become very real in the details of our life is because we have the person, the Holy Spirit, and He dwells in me. He lives in me. And if the Spirit is... It's the indwelling of the Spirit that makes it all a reality. Several years ago, we were, we were talking on prayer, studying about prayer. And I made the comment, have you ever just sat there and said, Dear Lord, smack them upside the head, would you? Amen. And nothing happened to them? I have. I got three kids. <laughs> Lord, just <laughs> give them the right hand of... You know, fellowship to the left side of the buttocks. <laughs> Let's get on with this. What, where does the Spirit work? In the Word. 
And the verse that came to my mind when I was in that moment was, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. <laughs> Ephesians 6, right? So what, when you think about prayer, prayer is you simply talking to the Father about the details of life. But prayer also goes a little different in that the Holy Spirit reaches in and says, here's the answer. It's this verse. It's this truth. It's this. And in 9 to 13 now, Paul's going to explain how 1 to 8 can be a reality in our lives. You see, you can't walk in the Spirit unless you possess the Spirit. And because you possess the Spirit, now you have the power, the capability to reach into those provisions and walk in that. Come back to chapter 6. I hope that's clear as mud. Chapter 6. Look at, watch Paul, again, Paul has done this with us already. Verse 17. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. There's your practice. What were you? What did you do? How'd you live as a servant of sin? But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered. See that obedience from the heart? That, that heart of faith? That's what God's looking for. So because you obeyed, verse 18, being then made free. See that made free from sin? Ye became the servants of right. You see that being made free? There's our position. Made. We looked at this when we went through here. Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he was made to be sin. Made. Something unnatural happened here. The nature of Christ, deity, God, no sin, sinless, he had to be made sin. He took on the form of sinful flesh, the likeness of sin, and to accomplish the propitiatorial activity. What is your natural bent? In Adam, baby. But yet he did what? He made you free from the servants of sin. How did he do that? Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that we, henceforth we should not serve sin. Positionally, what did he do? You hung on Calvary with him. He, you have a code death, burial, and resurrection. Look, Christ didn't die alone. You were with him. Look at verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. Yield, turn yourself over to. You and your practice decide who you're going to follow. Who are you going to obey? My flesh? Or I'm going to obey the Spirit. You see how Paul, he takes us. He moves us and says, practically, you got a choice. This is who you were. Positionally now, verse 17 and 18, this is who you are positionally. Make the choice. Come over to chapter 7. Chapter 7. 
You see, this is not a new way for Paul to teach this to us. Chapter 7, look at verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Notice, when we were, time passed, in the flesh. The result here is practical death, functional death. What happened in 6-6? What did he do to that old flesh nature? Killed it, crucified it. And when you work in that flesh and you mind the things of the law, again, no friend, no helper, the result is death. Now watch verse 6. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Now, verse 6 is positional. 5 is practical. This is what happened to you. This is where you were. But now, verse 6, we are what? Delivered. We are rescued. To do what? To go serve in the newness of spirit. Practically, we're over here. This is where we chose to be. Positionally in Christ, this is now our condition. So when you come into chapter 8 here, verse 8 and 9, we're moving from positional tru practical truth to positional issues. And from 9 down to the end of the chapter, he's talking about our position. Our, again, standing state, practice, position. Okay, that's the idea here. Now come over with me to Galatians chapter 5. And watch him do it here in Galatians 5. Galatians chapter 5. You guys follow? I'm trying to get, I want to get down in this. I want to spend the next 10 years sitting right here in chapter 8 with you. I'm not going to do that. I know the looks. Oh my goodness. You know, we're, this is lesson 70 in our Roman study. And we're just getting into 8. We're halfway through the book. <laughs> So we have at least another hundred lessons to go, okay? <laughs> because this stuff is what sets you free. I, listen, I, I get emails from people during the week, and they don't go here. They watch online. They know me through my associations with Dad and GSB and everything. And they come up with stuff, and they ask questions, and... and where they get it from is their business. They're asking me specific questions. And I'll tell you, nine out of ten of them, they fail to recognize these identification truths of who they are. And they're looking for someone to stroke an ego or to okay a thought rather than, which by the way, I don't do that, <laughs> rather than coming over and saying, you know what, these verses are indicating and teaching is who I am in Christ. Because who I am in Christ, godliness has an impact now and in the world to come. And when you understand that what we do now and now has an impact on eternity, you real quickly begin to say, you know what, I don't want to be in a negative manner. I want to be in a positive manner. You got Galatians. Come back with me to 1 Corinthians 15. A verse that sticks in here, I, I just used, I just talked to a gentleman 
just the other day about this verse because he was arguing with a piece of paper, well, with an email. He, he thought he was arguing with me, but he wasn't. He's arguing with his email on the issue of good works and, you know, do them and don't do them and back and forth. And I just pointed him to 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. So I am what I am by what? My doing, my activity, who I am? No, by what? By what? The grace of God. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. I, I love that. Did, it's, you have to think about for you. Is the grace of God bestowed on you in vain? Vain, empty, worthless, useless. Man, you think about that. Because watch how Paul keeps going. But I labored more abundantly than they all. What did Paul do? He labored. What is that? That's work. That's doing good works. That's doing the work of the ministry. Doing activity. But not watch, watch what he says. But not I. But the grace of God which was. What was motivating Paul to labor? The grace of God. That identity, his understanding of who he is in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, he calls it, The love of Christ constraineth us. We thus judge, we think a certain way. Look at that, 2 Corinthians 5. Folks, you don't get this without understanding Romans 6, 7, and 8. Well, but, you know, what about the good works? What about it? What did Paul just say? He says, I labored... But it wasn't me. It was who I am in Christ that was doing that. That's what he's saying in Romans 8. You go live in the flesh. That's you. Well, I don't want that. I want you to live in who you are. And when you do that, now you're on the right side of the ledger, as the old preachers would say. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge judgment thinking we we have a thinking process here that if one died for all then we're all dead where was all of if you're in adam what's your result death sin and that he died for all that they which oh what's that word wait a minute how can a dead person now be a live person only by the cross Right? See how we're to think about this? Which live, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Those two verses is grace motivation. 1 Corinthians 15, 10, when Paul says, I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which, you know what he's saying? I'm not out here doing this in my energy of my own flesh. I'm doing this because of who I am in Christ. Boy, there's a work that will abide the judgment seat of Christ. There's a work that will abide for eternity. Not any of this other Mickey Mouse stuff over here we're trying, we think we're doing, but that's why Romans 6, 7, and 8 is so critical in our thinking. 
Uh, Galatians 5. I get off my stump. I think about this stuff. I think about people who, again, they don't, this, and this gentleman does not go here. He doesn't attend here. He just had some questions about some stuff he had heard. And the good, folks, Ephesians 2.10, we're, cre- we're created, we're his workmanship created unto good works. What we should do, I butchered the verse. What, in what universe would you think that your effort is okay with God? Romans 1 to 5 said your effort is, you're a fool. Doesn't get there. You're guilty. But man, who I am in Christ, in, in the energy of that, I can go do now. Paul tells Timothy to go do the work of an evangelist. <laughs> I go, Wow. That means evangelism is what? It's work. Because we, we're not all natural gabbers. It's work. But it's a good work to do. Galatians 5, look at verse 24. And they that are Christ, so you belong to Christ, have what? Crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. You're Christ. What have you done? What's happened to you positionally here? You have what? You've crucified the flesh. You've Romans 6 6 it. <laughs> Do I still live in the flesh, though? Do I still got that old sin nature there? Yeah. But what's my relationship to it? Death. Dead. Isn't that interesting? You have both practical and positional in one verse. How should I be thinking about my flesh? It's dead. Why? Because positionally, I have what? I'm in Christ. I've crucified it. Look at Galatians 2.20. Hold on to Galatians 5. Galatians 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Wait a second. What's going on here? I'm crucified, but yet I do what? I live. Dead man walking. Here they come. Fear of the dead. Or what is it, Walking Dead or whatever that TV show is? You see, here it is. The zombies are around us. Uh-oh. Get your zombie gun out. Here they come. Again, practically and positionally here. I live, yet what? Not I. Oh, wow. I have a new identity, don't I, positionally? But Christ liveth in me. And the, not, and the life which I now live in the flesh, right now, practically, in time, how do I live it? I live it the same way the Son of God lived it. And you know how that is? In, complete, in, in that obedience of faith to the Word of God, to me. Galatians 2.20. God the Holy Spirit lives in me. He lives in my body. And he's caused my, situ- my mortal flesh. He's quickened it. He's done that because of who I am in Christ so that now I can be used. I, my body becomes the vehicle. Go back to Galatians 5. 
my body is now the vehicle that God can use to put on display his holiness, his righteousness in time in the planet here on the earth. We'll look next time at 1 Timothy 3 over there in verse 16 where he talks about Christ was manifest in the flesh. All of the mainline thinking and theology teaching is that's talking about the, the birth of Christ. But when you talk about, Paul's not talking about that. He's talking to the local the church. He's talking about the local church. And you know what he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, or 2 Corinthians 6 over there? He's, oh, ah. He says, we, more to, we, ha, we put on display daily his life. 2 Corinthians 4, sorry. You see, Christ was manifest in the flesh today, right now in time, in you and I. As we do what? Not live in the flesh, my way or the highway, but rather in who we are in Christ. Look at Galatians 5. I've got to keep going. By the way, the Holy Spirit, he does some work in you. He circumcises. You remember that acronym, CRIBS, we've been over in the years past? He circumcises you. He regenerates you. He indwells you, he baptizes you, and he seals you. So if, the, if the, you lose the spirit at any moment in time, you know what you lose? Some of that, because he takes it, because it's there because he's there. So guess what you don't do? You don't lose him. I tell you what, I said it last Sunday, the Holy Spirit's the most chill dude there ever is. He's relaxed. And he says, you want to use me? There I am. I think I do. I think about it. Here you got the father, you know, serious. He's got the plan, straight, boom, boom. You got the son, that little energizer bunny putting me in. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And you got the Holy Spirit look over there going, dude, would you just chill? It's going to be okay. I mean, I do. I, it's just my imagination, okay? Galatians 5, verse 24. He's talking about... Our, the, we are, that our Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we live. Hey, this is who we are. We go live in the Spirit positionally. It becomes a reality. Come over with me to Colossians 3. Oh, where to go? I went on that little rabbit trail, and I shouldn't have did that. Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verse number 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, and again, there's that other if. Again, it's a done deal. It's established. If you be risen with Christ, he spends all of Ephesians telling you how you're going to be risen with Christ. It's a done deal. Seek, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And again, the heavenly places, our future home, and so forth, and the mechanisms and all of that. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear... Then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Mortify. Subdue them. Bring them under subjection. 
the list there. And then in verse 7, he says, in which ye also, notice that, walked some time when ye lived in them. The reason to mortify that flesh, the reason to declare it to be dead, is because we now are where? Living in the Spirit. That's why he'll say, verse 8, but now ye also put off all these. Verse 10, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. You see, when you come back to Romans 8, he's shifting. Here's the practical stuff, but here's the positional stuff. And because of the positional stuff, that practical now becomes real. Um, get, get two passages. We'll do this quickly and then we'll have to get, get Romans 5, verse 5, and get 1 Corinthians 6. The idea that, that comes out, in, out of Romans 8 there, verse 9 and 10, about um, the, uh, the Spirit not dwelling in you and leaving you, Romans 8, verse number 9, but if ye are not in the flesh, but ye are not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. The fact that the Spirit of God dwells in you causes the reality of you living in the Spirit. Makes all that a living reality. Look at Romans 5, verse 5. And hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Never think that you don't have the Spirit, okay? He's given to you. 1 Corinthians 6, he's, he's there. He's yours. You got 1 Corinthians 6 and Ephesians 4. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, Paul is dealing with the Corinthians here. Basically what Paul's saying here to the Corinthians is, is don't you know who you are? Don't you get this? Grow up, babies. You're babes in Christ. Grow. Time to get, time to get out of the nursery. <laughs> Grow up. Verse 18, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God? And ye are not your own, for ye are bought with the price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Boy, what an indictment. There's a group of people who are, if he says flee fornication, then what are they probably doing? Fornicating. And yet he still says to them, verse 19, that your body is the temple of the, Holy, of the Spirit. So even though they're over here sinning, they still have who? The Spirit. I love the what. What? Don't you know who you are? Think about the temple. The temple is a meeting place. It's a place of worship. It's a place to come together. It's where the Holy Spirit and you intertwine. It's, a, it's where, you got, where, we come, where he communes with us is there. So when you come back to Romans 8 and verse 9 and 10, 
but ye are, verse 9, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. You see, folks, we're to live in the Spirit. We're the temple. Our physical bodies, down in verse 11 there, he's quickened our mortal bodies. Our bodies have now become the dwelling place of the Godhead. That's what Ephesians 4 tells us. All three members of the Godhead dwell in you. Okay? And because of that, we're now able to go out into this present evil world and put on display, manifest in our mortal bodies, the grace and the love of God to everybody. We make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. That's fantastic. But that's because of who we are. Not what we're doing, but it's because of who we are. Now, because of who, we're, because of who we are will impact what we're going to do. Because if I know that going over here in what, 1 Corinthians 6 there, fornicating is wrong, then what am I now, if I'm, and I'm being taught who I am, then what am I not going to do anymore? I'm going to go do the fornicating. That's a tough one to use as an illustration, but that's what 618 said, see? Why am I not going to do, because that's not who I am anymore. I'm this over here. And because I'm this over here, I'm not that. I'm going to live here, not there. So then this truth, positional truth, makes all of the practical truth on how to live come alive. Okay? All right. Hopefully you got that. We're just getting into the, we'll, we'll do more next week, okay? <laughs> Unpack some more here. By the way, Ephesians 4 there, I know we didn't look at it. But if you look there at verse uh, 4. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who, who is above all and through all and in you all. We already know Christ is in us. We already know the Holy Spirit is in us. The Father lives in us as well. Okay? All right. Dear Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word and the study thereof it. Be impactful to our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen.